0: You know, for most of us, when we look at our calendar and see Memorial Day, we see a holiday. We see a day that we get to take off from work, we see a day that we can go to the lake, we see a day we get to spend with friends and family, uh, families cooking out on our back porch and just enjoying uh, the Michigan weather. But for so many, Memorial Day is the exact opposite of a holiday. In fact, it's a day where all they remember is the person that they lost and the life that they must live now without that person. And so today, to honor those who have uh, generously sacrificed their life for our safety and freedom, I want to pray for those who are here, who are continuing to live life without their loved ones. So if you have someone, if you are a family member, a spouse, a child, if you've lost someone who um, gave their life in any of our armed services, our services would you please stand up? And so as a church, uh, man, we, we want you to know that we love you and we want to pray for you this morning. So if you would bow your heads and let me just pray over these families. Jesus, uh, thanks for letting us come together this morning in freedom, that we could celebrate you and worship you without any worry of uh, someone stopping us or hindering us from that. And that's all because people have given their life uh, generously, sacrificially, God, so that we might have freedom. And Jesus, I pray for the families that are represented in this room and in our campuses today. Um, even around the world, who are forced to live without their loved one in their life. Um, God, I pray that you would give them a a peace that passes understanding, that you would comfort them in a way that only you could do that. And Jesus, I pray uh, specifically today for the children who have lost a parent, that God, the church would be a, a gap filler for those children, that they would know there's a place where they are loved and cared for. God, allow the church to be a means to help, comfort in a time full of loss. Jesus, thanks for the church for allowing us to love people and to support people well. We love you so much, amen. Amen, thanks for joining me in that. Uh, so you might notice um, I'm, I'm not Brad Powell, uh, senior pastor of Northridge Church. Uh, My name is Chris Crutchley. Um, I am the Brighton campus pastor. So if you are new here, we are one church in four locations. So hello to Celine and Graciel and to my family in Brighton. It is so good to see you via video screens this morning. If you are new in Brighton, would you do me the huge honor of coming back next week so that my wife and I can meet your family? We'd love to get to know you um, and share with you all the incredible things about Northridge Brighton. But I'm so excited to be with you guys here today. Um, uh, Man, when Brad asked me to uh, share something, to talk today, man, it was, it had just come out of a season for me of reflecting. I mean, just like Memorial Day is a time for us to remember. Um, Occasionally and periodically throughout the year, I'll set aside some times of like solitude times where I can kind of just begin to ask God be question, question, hey, is there anything in my life that you would like for me to address? Like, is there anything that's happening? Are there any rhythms? Are there anything repeating itself in my life that you're saying, hey, I need you to, to look at this. I want you to pay attention to this. And as I sit down and reflected, there was this theme that God brought to my attention. And the theme was this, hey, Chris, God speaking to me. Uh, hey, uh, your desire for control is perpetuating negative results in your life. Wow. Thanks, God. It was good enough for me to repeat it to you. My desire for control it was perpetuating negative results in my life. Let me just give you a little, a little example. Uh, have you ever tried to control um, a stubborn, strong-willed four-year-old? <laughs> It will perpetuate negative results in your life. Um, I will become the Hulk. <laughs> That's never good, right? No, I mean, it's the truth. My desire for control is perpetuating negative results in my life. And listen, um, it was never more evident than what I can remember back as far as 10 years ago. Uh, something happened in my life 10 years ago that actually began to reveal this truth. And I'll share it with you this, this morning. 10 years ago, Jamie and I, uh, we were 24 years old. Uh, We married and we were living in Savannah, Georgia. We were planning a church in Savannah, living life on the coast of Georgia by the ocean. It was awesome. It was so much fun. While we were there, a lady began to share with us uh, about this organization um, that each year they would host orphans from all over the world. They'd bring them to America for two purposes one, to let them see a different part of the world, America. And then two, hopefully find a forever family. And so Jamie and I, 24, young, no kids, want kids. Like, this would be awesome. Like, we have we have all the time in the world to give to this child. And so for six weeks, um, it was uh, December 2009. So December, uh, November, December, and January, for six weeks, we hosted a little boy. He was 11 years old from Latvia, which is... Uh, it's west of Russia on the Baltic states. And we, we brought him over from an orphanage and he spent six weeks with us in our home uh, over Christmas time. And man, we were just excited to have him. We're gonna have a blast. You know, like this little kid got off a plane at Hartsfield uh, International, or Hartsfield Atlanta International Airport. And he ran up to us and didn't know any English. So this is gonna be great. You know, this 11 year old boy who cannot communicate English and we cannot speak Latvian. This is gonna be amazing. And so... We bring him home to Savannah, and we begin just getting to know him through translations, all kinds of stuff. And what we, what we realize is that within a few short days, we begin to fall in love with this little boy. And my love for him began to transition into this question. Could, could I adopt him? Could we, Jamie and I, could we become his parents? Could we bring home this little 11 year old boy forever? Could he be our son? Could I be his father? And within a couple of days of asking the question, my passion for him, my my dreaming, like oh my gosh, he could be our son. Like I, it literally began to escalate. I'm like, th- this is going to happen. We're going to make we're going to make it work. Like I'm going to raise the money because it's going to cost a lot. We're gonna we're gonna do everything possible. This kid is going to be ours. He's going to be our son. He's going to be in our family. We're going to be his parents. And as this passion escalated so quickly, it was met with just a quick, just as quick an answer. No, you, you can't adopt him. And it was one of those moments where like, yes, I can. You can't tell me I can't. you like, my desire for control stepped in. Yes, I can too. If I want to, I can. He needs a parent and we can be his parent. We can too if we want. No, actually you, you can't. And it's a definitive no, because see the country that he lives in has a, a law that you must be 18 years or older than the child that you wish to adopt. And Jamie and I were 14 years, if that, older than him. It was a no. So I remember the day, uh, like it was yesterday, that we got in the car, we left Savannah for the four-hour commute to Atlanta. Uh, We pulled into the airport, we got his luggage out, walked to the airport. I remember putting him on a plane and sending him back to an orphanage in Latvia. And I remember the feeling of helplessness. I have never felt more out of control. I have never felt more weak. It was in that moment, that circumstance, that situation, I was literally powerless to change the outcome. I could do nothing. And I wonder if any of you here have ever felt that feeling. That feeling that that circumstance or that situation you're experiencing that you went through, you had zero power to control it. You could literally do nothing to change the outcome. If you would, just for a few moments, uh, think of a situation. Think of that, that moment that came back to your mind as I begin to share my story. Think of it. And I'm gonna ask you a couple questions about that circumstance, that situation. Like, If you could think back to a moment where you had zero control, where you were powerless to change the outcome, if you could go back and change it, fix it, correct it, would you? Let's go a little farther and further into this process. Maybe there's a memory. Maybe you have this memory that you just can't seem to shake. You can't forget it. Each day you think of it. A week doesn't pass by without you thinking of it. If you could go back and erase it. In fact, if you could just delete it from your memory now, would you? Maybe another way to think about it. Uh, maybe you're here today and you have some sort of uh, physical affliction, some sort of constant pain maybe a disability, maybe something you were born with, maybe you have a diagnosis of a disease, if you, could, if you could go back and change it, if you could heal it, would you? For most of us in this room and in all of the Northridge auditoriums and even listening online, most of us would say, yes, I would go back and change it. I would fix it, I would erase it, I would correct it. That we would make the outcome different. I would be in control of the situation. And the question that I want to pose to you today is this. What if? What if that circumstance that you would change? What if that situation that you would correct? That thing you would fix? That memory you would delete or erase? What if that thing God is actually wanting to use for your good? What if that thing that you want so badly to go away, you want so badly to erase from your life, what if God wants to use that for your good? So today we're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians. Um, 2 Corinthians is where we find the guy by the name of Paul writing a letter to a church. Um, And in this church, there are some people who actually come against him who are persecuting him. And he begins to defend his ministry by what we're going to read today. And I just want you, I want you to, as we read it, think about that circumstance, that situation that you would erase, you would fix, you would correct in light of how Paul addresses something very similar. So uh, Second Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 7. And it says this, Paul's writing, he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So we find Paul in a similar situation to the questions I've asked you. He's got something in his life that he has zero control over. He is powerless to change the outcome. He's got this thorn in his life. And so the question we would ask as reading this is, well, what is the thorn? It's funny you should ask that because Paul doesn't necessarily tell us. Thanks, Paul. But it's actually good that he doesn't tell us this. So we have some some understanding around Paul's life that we can draw conclusions that there's potentially three things that Paul would have addressed as a thorn. I want to share those three things with you today because I want you to identify with Paul. Paul, in his life, three potential things could be a thorn that was causing him discomfort, Causing him to want to change an outcome, causing him to plead with God to remove it. The three things of this one could be a psychological, uh, a, a, a memory that he can't seem to shake, some sort of issue in his brain. Man, I can't stop remembering this. You see, Paul had a very colorful past in that um, before he was helping the church uh, in his previous. Uh, his past, his history, he was actually hurting the church. Paul was known as a guy named Saul who was persecuting Christians. He was trying to uh, destroy the church and anyone who followed Jesus. And so a potential thorn in Paul's life was this idea that he couldn't get rid of the memories of all the things he had done against the church. And it was plaguing him. Uh, The second thing is this, that it could be uh, those who are currently persecuting him. You know, there was this, this group stirring in this church. They were beginning to question Paul, like, who are you and, and why are we following you? Why are we listening to you? Or you, maybe, maybe you, you aren't the right guy to be teaching this stuff. Like maybe you don't know enough. Maybe, maybe your past uh, keeps you from being able to teach us. They begin questioning and challenging Paul and his efforts of helping the church. And so they say maybe this, this, this current oppression over his life could be a thorn. And the third was this, that kind of theologians and scholars agree upon is that maybe it was some sort of physical affliction Maybe Paul was having headaches, or maybe his eyesight was weakening, or maybe he he was having fevers or pains that were plaguing his body, and he simply wanted them to be gone. We don't necessarily know what the the thorn was, but we have an idea it was one of these three things, and I, I wonder if you can identify with those. I wonder if you could uh, connect with Paul in these. Because see, the cool thing about Paul not telling us exactly what it was is if he said, hey, it's this pain. I got this, this splinter in my big toe. He, he doesn't have a splinter in his big toe. It, no one, no one has that. Okay, so he, he didn't say it because if he would have said that one thing, this is what's plaguing me. This is what's hurting me. This is the thorn. Then the rest of us who couldn't identify with that would have been like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't connect with that, Paul. But because he left it open and vague, we can now identify, you know what? There's this memory that I can't seem to shake. There's this physical affliction that plagues me every day. There, there is this, these people who insult me and hurt me and bully me. We can identify with Paul and his weakness. And so the, 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 the question we would ask him is, okay, what, this is the thorn. Well, then if if God could be wanting to use this for his good, then what's the purpose of the thorn? And Paul actually tells us, it just said in the very end of this verse, he says, that he, he, he pleaded with him to remove it, that it should leave him. But he says, right before it, he says, that it was given to me in the flesh to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, conceited is an interesting word. Uh, it can be transposed, or we can switch out the word pride. For conceited, it's probably a word that we use more than anything, because Paul has just experienced something pretty incredible. And in just a few verses ahead of this, he says he has this revelation where he was caught up to the third heaven, and the third heaven in their culture and time would have been something like this. The first heaven we would have called the sky, like where birds and planes exist, and the second heaven would have been uh, what we would call space, where the sun, moon, and stars exist, and then the, the third heaven would actually be where we believe God would dwell. Okay, and so he, he has this revelation where he goes to the third heaven. He goes to paradise, this place where God exists. And he has this amazing experience. And he would be tempted when he came back to be like, listen, you should listen to me because of what I've been able to experience. Like, I just got to go hang out with God. I just got to, to experience God in a dream, in a vision, in a revelation. And this is why you should listen to me. He would be tempted to use his message as this, you should listen to me because I'm better than you. I got to go see God. You didn't. And that's what pride is. Pride is, look at me. And the story that I started off with with Alex, you know, deep in my heart, if I'm honest with you today, like deep in my heart, there was pride covered up in the desire for control. You see, there was this little bit of pride in me that said, you know, how cool would it be? Like, man, like, we adopted this kid, we, we saved him. Look, look at us. Look what we did, we, we rescued him. You know, pride says, look at me. But all throughout the Bible, we see God saying, no, 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 everything is for my glory. So the first purpose of this thorn was to keep him from becoming conceited. But the second is this, we see in verse, uh, uh, the uh verse nine, he says this. So he's asked God, hey, three times, w- would you let this go? Would you relieve it from me? Would you take it from me? And this is the response. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. We see this interesting truth revealed that Paul begins to realize. The second purpose of this thorn was actually to weaken Paul. We see Christ wanting to move Paul into this state of weakness. And so what is a weakness? He later defines it as four things. He says it's, uh, it's persecutions, it's calamities, it's, it's insults, and it's hardships. These are four things that Paul defines as these weaknesses, and these are things that are done upon us. These are things that happen against us. These are things that happen out of our control. These are things that, that if we had the choice, we would choose it to be differently. If it was under our willpower, it wouldn't have happened the way it happened. Like We, we see that Jesus is wanting to move Paul into this state of weaknesses, because He says, listen, it's in your weakness that you begin to experience my power. And and for a lot of us in the room, not all, a good bit of us, myself included, we don't like weaknesses. In fact, nothing in us desires to be weak because we feel like weakness portrays something to people that we don't want them to know about. You know, in fact, we are born, from birth, we have this desire, this craving in us Uh, for self glory. We actually have this desire not to share our weaknesses. We have this desire to share and show the world our strengths. We want you to know what's good about me. We want you to know this is, this is what I've succeeded in. This is my success. This is my accomplishments. We want to show the world all those things. And we want to delete, hide. We want to uh, fix the weaknesses. We don't want anyone to see our weaknesses because deep in us, us, we have this desire for people to see all that's good and successful and right in us. And not only do we have this thing in us from birth that says, crave self-glory, but we also have a world around us, a world around us that's communicating this. It's the strong, it's the successful, it's the high achievers that earn human admiration. Think about it this way. Look on social media just for a moment. Look at my social media. Look at my family, my wife and I share account. Look at it. And look look what you see. You're going to see all the greatest moments of our life. You're gonna see the highlights of everything. In fact, a couple weeks ago, you're gonna see my kids. You're gonna see them playing. This is crazy. My kids have the time of their life. it was a water park. I turned my sprinklers on for the first time and they played in the backyard for hours as if we were at the greatest water park in the world. And we have pictures and videos. It was amazing. And we posted that for you to see because we just wanna see how awesome our kids are and how great we are as parents. (laughs) What you don't see is me yelling, don't hit that sprinkler. Just like that. Every dad in the room can agree with me. We want everyone to see the greatest, and that's what we post. And listen, so we live in this world that's constantly communicating, constantly sharing with us, you need to be strong. You need to be capable. You need to achieve greatness. You need success. Because that's what earns human admiration. And and here's the scary part. Because deep in us, we have this desire for self-glory. The world around us is communicating you need to be strong and successful and be an achiever. We're tempted to believe that that's what God wants from us also. And please hear me, church. Our human strength does not showcase the glory of God. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's our human weakness that displays the glory of God. It's our, it's our human suffering, it's our human weaknesses. It's when we are helpless, this, this displays the glory of God. You know, Paul knew this well. He knew this extremely well. In fact, he says it in 1 Corinthians, he says a couple, a couple of verses that are important. As he's writing to the church, in 1 Corinthians chapter two, he says this, and when I came to you brothers, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming you, uh, you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. He's like, I didn't come to you with these great words. He says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in what? And I was with you in? And in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He he realized it. He understood it. It, It's not not your strengths that display God's glory. It's actually your weaknesses. And it's it's important for us to understand this, this last kind of piece to this. It's important for us to understand and as we begin the process of switching our mindset from the thing that we hate, that we wish we could erase, that we could disappear from our, that we can make disappear from our life to this idea that maybe God wants to use it for our good and his glory. We have to understand this. Where does the thorn come from? Where does it come from? Paul says it was uh, sent as a messenger from Satan to harass me. I want you to understand the truth and context of what Paul's teaching. See, this thorn was given by God through Satan. Let me explain. Satan wanted nothing more than to devour, destroy Paul. He wanted him to be silent, he wanted him to disappear. He wanted nothing of Paul because Paul was helping. Uh, achieve success and growth, and he was helping grow disciples in the church, Satan wanted to shut down Paul. But we see that this thorn, it actually has a, a good purpose. The purpose is to keep him from becoming conceited, to keep him from uh, uh, boasting about all the great things that he's accomplished. This this uh, thorn had a, a good purpose. And so what Satan meant for harm, God in his, powerful, all-powerful, God in his sovereignty wield it to benefit Paul. Let me give you a simple example of this complicated text. Uh, my fourth child, so we have bookend boys, so Eli's my oldest, and then Jude, my almost two-year-old little boy, um, has entered this stage of life where everything that you can climb up becomes a springboard. So a chair is a launching pad, the couch is a, you know, a, a diving board, and stairs become the challenge of how many can I jump from. You know, like, this is my two year old boy. And 95% of the time, my wife Jamie and I are like, sit down, no, 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 you know, on your bottom. You know, we're strapping him in the seats so that he can't jump off of them. You know, 95% of the time, we are stopping him from accomplishing his goal of jumping. But on the rare occasion, when the circumstances are just right, I will allow Jude to experience a temporary moment of pain. (laughs) To teach him a far greater lesson than I could by stopping him. Please hear me on this. What Satan meant to harm Paul, God allowed so that Paul could learn a very, very important lesson. It is not your strengths that showcase my glory. No, Paul, it's your weakness. Could your weakness, could that thing you would change, that memory you would delete, that circumstance, that outcome, that if you had control, you would rewrite it. Could God be trying to use that for your good and his glory? Well, if so, how? How do we make that switch? How do we transition from the thing that I hate the most and then seeing it as, okay, God, you're actually using it for my good and your glory? How do we make that switch? I'm glad you ask, because Paul tells us. Back in 2 Corinthians, he says this, to close out the verse. And uh, we'll do verse 10, chapter, tra- chapter 12, verse 10, he says, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. I am content with weaknesses. That word content, mark it, highlight it, underline it, do what you gotta do to remember it. I'm content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul understood that there was this, this place that he had to get to. And that place was contentment. And it's kind of hard to get to a place of contentment like a thing I hated for my whole life or a thing that I wish I could delete, a thing I wish I could heal or fix or correct. Now you want me just to just be okay with it? Well, there is a process for contentment and Paul went through it. He started that process off off by praying. Three times he prayed to God, would you change? Would you fix? Would you correct? Would you relieve this from me? Would you heal me of this? And church, I want you to know this is very important. He, He prayed to God first for relief. And then after not receiving relief or change, he moved his prayer. And this is big for us. We must, at a point in time, a week, two weeks, a month, a year, I don't know what it is for you, but we must change from asking God to fix or relieve us or to change our outcome and start praying, asking him to use that thing that we couldn't control, that outcome, that circumstance, that situation. We must stop praying for him to fix it or correct it. And change it and start praying for him to use it for my good and his glory. This is the beginning process of contentment. And what we see in Paul is greater illustrated in Jesus. You know, Jesus is probably our ultimate example. He's in the garden praying to his father. He's praying to God hours before he's about to be sentenced to death on a cross. And we actually have his prayer. His prayer was something like this. If there's any way, God, you could change the outcome. If you could remove this cup from me, this this death that I'm about to take on, this cross that's before me, if you can change it, fix it, erase it, if you could do it any other way than this way, would you? And in the same breath of that prayer, he switches from will you change it, fix it, correct it, to but not my will, yours be done. And what we see next out of Jesus is something amazing. You know, in his human weaknesses, he he asked for relief. He asked for correction. But what he received was a godly power, a power to endure being ridiculed, being tortured, being spit on, and ultimately being killed. He received a power that was not of human strength to endure something so great for his good and for God's glory. And praise the Lord, we get to benefit in that. Contentment is this process in our brain where we begin to shift from would you change, would you fix, would you correct to Hey, would you begin to use it for my good and your glory? Maybe you're here today and you're like, listen, Chris, I've been spending my whole life apart from Jesus. I've been spending my whole life trying to work and do on my own strength. I've been spending my whole life trying to achieve, uh, trying to show off my successes, trying to climb the corporate ladder, trying to be the best that I can because I believe, I thought, I believe that I needed to be my best. And maybe today here in this service, online at all of our campuses, maybe today you're realizing it's not your strength that God needs, but it's your weakness. Maybe today you need to take your first step of weakness and say, hey listen, I can't do it on my own. I, I, I can't do it on my own at all, I, I need your help. If today you would like to maybe place your faith in Jesus, you'd like to begin following him so that you can understand what Paul's talking about, that in my weakness I experience Christ's strength, all you have to do is ask him. The Bible teaches us this way in Romans. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he says, you will be saved. God will forgive you and you will begin to live a life under his leadership and his guidance. And if you would like to do that this morning, I'd ask everyone here, just simply bow your heads. And if you want to make that choice, simply take the words that I'm going to pray and make them your own. Let's pray. Jesus, I acknowledge that I've been trying to do everything on my own strength. And that it's not my strength that showcases your glory, but it's my weakness. And so today I confess that I'm weak and I can't do it without you. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you save me? Because I believe you died on the cross and you rose from the dead for me. You know, I pray, amen. If you're here this morning with me and you prayed that prayer, would you please do us a huge honor and let us know. Uh, You can let us know by simply taking out your connection card, which is in the back of your program, tear it out, fill out the appropriate information, and then drop it off in a box at any of our exits at all of our auditoriums. And if you're watching online, hit What's Next, and it'll do the same thing for you. But we would love to follow up with you with a a letter from our senior pastor, a a gift, a Bible, and just some simple next steps for you on this journey of following Jesus. We'd love that for you. So the first thing in this process of switching between uh, this idea that God could be using our weaknesses for, for our good and his glory. The first thing is contentment, becoming content. And the second is this, don't waste your weakness. Don't waste your weakness. You know, um, when we sent Alex on that plane, I have never felt more weak. I never felt at a more depressed state of life. I, I literally was powerless to change anything. I was completely out of control. I could not do anything to change the outcome. And it was in that state of weakness that God began to reveal in me something that I would have never dreamed of myself. Hey Chris, I don't, I don't need you to save Alex. God was reminding me, it's, hey, it's God that does the saving, not me. I didn't need my pride. or He didn't need me adopting him. He didn't need any of those things. He simply just needed me to be weak because he began to birth in me a vision, a desire, not to save one orphan, but to become an advocate for all orphans. To become an advocate that there are 143 million orphans around the world without homes and families and parents to love them and care for them. He, He wanted me to begin to speak to the crisis that exists across our country and our world. And so Jamie and I became foster parents. God birthed in me something well beyond adopting one orphan, but speaking on behalf of all of them. And he also let me, let me do this. He let me experience a brief and momentary bit of pain. Pain where I felt so out of control, I felt so helpless to let me know what Alex's life was like every single day. He allowed me to experience just a moment of this feeling that I'm out of control, no one cares, I'm all alone so that I would know what Alex felt like and I could begin communicating it to the world, this, this orphan crisis. And then God did the ultimate unthinkable. As we became advocates, as we began to share with friends and families and every means possible about this crisis that's at hand in our country, and our world, friends of ours who lived in Atlanta, Georgia, we were in Savannah, said, hey, we wanna we want meet this kid. And so sure enough, they flew to Latvia, met him and adopted him. Yeah, yeah okay. No but it gets better. That that church that they attended, his mom was on staff at, and they hired me a year later to come on and work. And so for four years, I got to spend almost every day with this kid, watching him grow up. So listen, yeah, no kidding. It gets me, goes me crazy. If you're wondering, man, how can How can God use this? How can God, how can he, how can he use this for my good? Listen, when we just acknowledge how I'm weak here. When we acknowledge, God, I don't know what to do about it. When we stop asking God to change it and start asking him to use it, he can do something through you for your good and his glory that will change not only your life but everyone around you. Would you? As I say goodbye to you, would you allow God this opportunity? Would you allow him to start using what you hate, what you want to change, what you want to forget for your good and his glory? Hey, thanks for being here. Man, it was an honor and a privilege. Happy Memorial Day. We'll see you guys next week.